The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. What does a strong leader look like? Hey listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we are sitting down with Dan Shapiro, who is the COO at LinkedIn. So Dan has a pretty interesting background. You're going to get to know him a bit better throughout this episode. But he founded a company at 19 years old. He went to Johns Hopkins. He earned his MBA at Harvard. And he's actually been at LinkedIn for 13 years. Dan, I would guess you are probably more tenured at LinkedIn than most of LinkedIners, because I get the same the same results. And so the reason we wanted Dan to join us today is, of course, we're inspired by him. We're inspired by his career progression and his success. But also part of his reputation has been around his ability to be a really strong leader. Compassion is something that comes to mind when we think of Dan, as well as his humanity. So what was cool was just you know, learning a little bit more about him and asking what he wanted to be shared today. I'm going to air it out, Dan, in that way, because I love that you said you're a father of three. You are married to your high school sweetheart, high school or college? College, college. College, sorry. Freshman year. Fresh, okay, so almost high school. Um, (laughs) And they've been together for 17 years, so family is a huge part of Dan's life. And so we're really excited to have him here to help our listeners get to know him a bit better as, you know, a leader in tech, but also just to hear his journey and hopefully give you all as listeners some of the inspiration that we have from him. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. Oh, thank you. It's it's uh, wonderful to be here with you. And uh, you're doing just an amazing job with this podcast. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Oh, thanks so much, Dan. So happy to have you here. So we have a tradition on In the Arena. As you know, uh, we love to get started with what we call them at LinkedIn, rapid fire questions. So what book do you recommend most often to young professionals? Well, for people that work in tech or are inspired to work in tech, uh, there are a few bu- business books that are just absolutely uh, exceptional. Uh, one of them is The Innovator's Dilemma by Clay Christensen, who you know, some may know recently passed away. I had the real fortune of studying um, in his class at business school and have just always found him to be one of the most clear thinkers of how technology markets evolve. So I think that book's just absolutely world-class. Yeah, I I remember Clay Christensen. I had once taken a course in my old company and we read something around strategy that he did in innovation, which is which is really good. I didn't I actually didn't know that he passed away, but great book to recommend. Awesome. And Dan, what is the worst fashion fad you've participated in? Tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll give you a little family history. My grandfather owned a clothing store for men and boys in Philadelphia. And my mom worked there and she would frequently come home with whatever she thought the latest fashions were. And sometimes she was spot on and sometimes they were way off. But I recall that there was a thing called hypercolor back in the, I think, late 80s, where the shirt would be treated in this dye that if it got hot, it would change color. <laughs> and so, you know, the first thing you would do, and it's kind of, it, it's absolutely terrifying to imagine this in a COVID world is you'd breathe on it because like, <laughs> you, you know, your warm breath would light up the shirt. So people would be breathing on each other's arms. 
And then, you know, imagine as it's warm, like what parts of the shirt, like wind up getting, so <gasps> a terrible idea, but I was first, I was, I was the first person in anyone in my school to have hyper color. And sometimes my mom brought home gems <laughs> other times. It was, it was absolutely ridiculed. So was this one a gem or was this not a gem? Because it seems yeah, like were you cool. setting like, did the it trend stick? here? It was a gem for 48 hours. And then it was a terrible idea after that. That's I'd great. Like, Wait, I'm sweating and this is not going to be helpful for that. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, and for our listeners, one of the reasons we picked this question specifically was because Dan is known for his, some of his fashion at some of our events at LinkedIn, some of these LinkedIn cool jackets, which, which some may have neon on, actually. Is that? They have LED lights. Yeah. LED lights. On. Okay. So you've upgraded is what you're saying. Every year, we well, there's a whole supply. So uh, for those that don't know, so we, the way it started was that at our global sales kickoff every year, we would have a talent show. And I was told that I was going to host the first talent show. And for those of you that remember Gangnam Style, the, mm-hmm. the, the guy Sai, he, he would be in his videos, he'd be wearing these tuxedos. And I was like, oh, what would it mean to have a LinkedIn Sai tuxedo? And that was how it all started. So we bought this white suit, we put a LinkedIn logo on it, and it became the way people knew me. And so every year I've gone back and tried to either change or add to this suit. And there have been multiple suits over the years because they get a little grungy after a while. But <laughs> I think more people know me from that than, than you know, many other things in my job. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So pivoting a little bit here, what is something that you want to learn? During the last year, I think one of the things that has been very important to me in, in my new role as COO is that uh, learning how to create alignment across teams. How do you bring people together to get on the same page about what you want to accomplish? And as a leader, you can often think about yourself as someone who makes decisions, sort of provides guidance, but there's a separate skill around facilitation, around bringing people together to help them come to a collective opinion on a topic so that everyone can be on the same page and move forward. And it's actually a different kind of skill. And the tactics you use to facilitate conversations are different than the tactics that you might normally use to lead a team through a moment. And I think it's become even more important as we're all virtual, because I don't know about the meetings that you're on, but once you get enough people on video trying to have a conversation, being able to facilitate that conversation successfully where everyone is participating virtually is is a real thing. And so I've found that being in a virtual environment has really helped me get better at facilitation, but it's something that I'm definitely working on. It almost sounds like a shift from like leading towards in a direction to just like sitting and creating space for people. That's right. Sometimes the metaphor for for leading is to see all the information and make, you know, make a decision so the group can embrace that. And facilitation is a little different. It's more about the process by which a group comes to their own decision. Mm. And oftentimes that's a better mode to build uh, a collective perspective as opposed to people following your perspective. And I think it's really powerful when done well. And what would you say are the skills behind being a good facilitator in those group conversations? Well, to juxtapose it with with oftentimes making decisions, you know, when you're in a meeting and you're you know that you need to make a call, what's going on in your mind is what decision am I going to make? So it's very internal. The energy can be very internal. When you're facilitating, your energy has to be just looking at everyone, seeing whether they're engaged or not, seeing whether people that have an opinion are surfacing that opinion, making sure that the conversation is even. So all the energy has to be external. 
Mm. Now, over time, you can learn how to do both those things at the same time. But it's hard. It's a real art form. And and I think that the people that do facilitation well are just hyper aware of how everyone is showing up in that moment and try to create an environment where it's a very high energy and level playing field across all the participants. Yeah, you're really juggling all of these things at once, right? And I heard you say aware, right? It's hyper awareness of them, but then your internal awareness as well and kind of moving fluidly across all of these different notions within you and, and facing externally. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. And then last question, Dan, what is something you want to unlearn? The hardest things to unlearn are the things that you actually like about yourself or are sort of very mm. true to who you are. And I grew up in a household of people having debates about any variety of topics. That was dinner, that was dinner conversation. So I have a style of like really wanting to share what's on my mind and, and creating space for others, but but being forward about it. And one of the things that I've had to unlearn, and, and I continue to unlearn, is that sometimes that forward energy makes other people lean back yeah. because you know the way that they want to contribute to a conversation is a little softer, or you know they don't know that they want to step into a conversation where that kind of energy is being brought. And so I think I am learning to communicate in a style that is much more balanced and much more space creating for others. And then to use that to make sure that everyone's participating in the conversation. I think it's been a game changer for me in, in sort of the last couple of years. There's an interesting phrase that you just reminded me of that I've heard a few times. It's called step up, step back. Yeah. You know, stepping up if you're the person that is not the one that typically speaks in a room and stepping back if mm-hmm. you're that person. And, and you, it, again, it actually, both things you said you wanted to learn and unlearn are, are connected to self and other awareness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that is the hard stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, my my eleven year old uh, his teacher, you know, one of the things that she said that he was really uh, special about him is he is exceptional at stepping up and stepping back. Wow! And I was like, wow, I wish I had heard that as a skill growing up. I had never even heard of that, and now they're teaching people in middle school about this idea, and it's just so powerful because I think, and it's apropos because the environment that our kids are growing up in is one where collaboration is fundamental to making progress. I think the way I grew up was more like everyone, you know, got good at doing their piece, mm-hmm. but not necessarily stitching it all together into a group group body of work. So it's becoming now part of kids' education. I think it's so awesome. Yeah. And something like self-awareness is also becoming part of education. When you think about mindfulness in schools right now and compassion, we didn't grow up learning these things, We, you know, and the the impact I hope to see in the next generation I'm excited to see what it does. I'm, uh, I'm reading a book right now called Permission to Feel, and it's all about how we can train ourselves and children about the emotions that we experience, right? And like really becoming what he calls emotion scientists and understanding how to then regulate those emotions in the world once we recognize them. So it's powerful. I'm like, I wish I had this stuff as a kid. You know, I wish all of us did, but we're, we're making better generations. Speaking of children, Dan, we want to know first, what were you like as a kid? <laughs> Tell us everything. Well, I can remember when I was eight, I played a lot of sports growing up and I played Little League and our coach gave everyone a trophy with a baseball. And on the baseball, everyone got written a nickname that, you know, was that the coach's embodiment of you. And I was Mr. Excitement. I was the kid with an ear to ear grin running the bases growing up. And so I always loved 
don't know if it's competition, but just games, like things where you really have to try to do your best with a group of people. I always loved, you know, puzzles. And, you know, growing up, I was very much the playing sports, but also the science fair kid. So I, I tended to flex back and forth between, you know, more athletic things and more, more academic things. What do you, what do you think was like the underpin of that? Like, cause I feel like sometimes you hit it, hear about the sports kid, then you hear about the science kid or the math kid, but it sounds like you were more eclectic. Like what, what were you after? Just something to push myself, something, uh, you know, I like challenges. I like to see what I can do. I like to do it with others. And, you know, that always felt more natural to me than the classroom. Like where you're sort of sitting there and, you know, you're, you're trying to take it all in, like being able to apply your energy to something that got you excited, whether it be sports or some academic thing. I always felt like competition brought out like a good side of me and a fun side of me. And there's a downside to that, right? You can, you can be overly competitive and you can, you can harness your competitive energy in ways that are really about us versus them, as opposed to trying to do something interesting. And, and I think that's always been deep in me is this idea of that, that these moments can bring out the best in you. Yeah. And I think we see this Mr. Excitement come out, you know, in the way that you lead, <laughs> right? And in those LED lights on that jacket. But something that, you know, Leah had alluded to in your intro was how you started a company at age 19. And we're so curious around what that was about and more so how that impacted your own trajectory and your own career. Everyone has stories they hear when they grow up, right? And those stories shape who you become and the values that get embedded into you. And a lot of it comes from your family and the people in your communities. So for me, I grew up with a lot of stories around entrepreneurship. My dad was a bit of an entrepreneur. My grandfathers on both sides were entrepreneurs. My stepfather had a, a you know a, a small business. Uh, my mom participated in that. And so there was just a lot of talk around creating businesses and how that was a path that was exciting and interesting. Mm. And so I, I grew up listening to those stories. And so when I went to college, I was a math major. And I can remember the moment when I looked up at the, I think it was a blackboard, actually. They still use blackboards back then. And there was this equation and it was, it was some differential equation. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to use any of this. Ah. <laughs> and it was a very... I don't know if upsetting is the right word, but a little depressing in that I was working so hard on something that kind of felt like like it wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm. And so I had this conversation. I remember having this conversation with my dad. I said, ah, maybe I'll drop out. Maybe I'll get a job. And his, his, his reply to me was, well, you should finish your degree, but maybe you could focus less on the school part and you could come up with a project on the side that kind of keep you interested while you're- Wow. The initial side hustle. <laughs> Yeah. So he was like, why don't you go, why don't you go figure out a project? So it was 1997 or 1998 and the internet was just kind of becoming like everyone was starting to see the potential of the internet. And I had been a soccer player growing up and I thought, well, maybe there's a way for high school athletes to connect with college coaches on the internet. And I knew a little bit about that. I wasn't good enough to be a real recruit, good enough to talk to a few coaches. And it seemed like a huge problem and I, the one that I faced personally. And so me and another person from school who was much more technical than me, we teamed up and we started this website for high school athletes and college coaches. And it actually became a thing. So we ran it for a few years and we sold it right when we graduated. Wow. And it was just like one of these things where it was so hard. And I think net net, if you added up all the hours I spent on it, I made like $4 an hour, mm -hmm. but it was so fun. 
And I really felt like I was doing something for other people that I personally had felt the pain of. So I, I think I think I learned pretty early that, that something like that was going to be my passion. Mm. Something entrepreneurial. Yeah, building something with technology mm-hmm. uh, to solve problems. I definitely like, I, I love that you share that. I, I definitely have a similar similar experience too of that like excitement around entrepreneurship. And I randomly thought of this question. So I'm curious if you've thought about it. If like, you know, all of a sudden you weren't CEO at LinkedIn, what business would you build today? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I find that the ideas come in the moment. And, you know, I, I tend to be person that, that, you know, when I'm, when I'm working, all the ideas are heads down. Like I just get very focused on the task at hand. And then if I go on vacation or I take an extended break, the ideas then just come in left and right. But there's something about the way my head works where I have trouble doing both at the same time. Yeah. So you're, you're more focused. That's fair. Okay. And you probably wouldn't want to tell us on a podcast in front of everyone who could listen what business you'd start because you'd give away your secrets. So I get it. I do think one area I'm excited about is I think there's a huge opportunity in pay equity. I think that AI and data is going to make the process of ensuring that people are being paid in a meritocratic and equitable way is, is just something that feels ripe for someone to figure out. And so if anyone's out there, uh, you want to build a business that would be good for the world, because I think meritocracy and equity are two of the most central values to me personally, I think that there's really something there. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, you you just said meritocracy and equity are two of your values. And, you know, we started with discussing the fact that, you know, you've, you are someone that is seen as a compassionate and feel like a very human leader. And I'm curious, you know, if you think about the qualities of leadership that you want to embody or that you'd want to see others embody, what does that look like? Sure. Well, you know, as a leader, one of the easiest tools you can do to create behavior is to tell people how you're going to assess like some of the most important situations and promotion conversations, you know, can be life-changing for people. So 
I ask three questions. How has the person transformed the business? With great leaders, you can see a before and after, before they showed up, after they showed up, and that there was a change in, in how things were going. The second is, how have they transformed the capabilities and lives of their people? And typically, the best people have very crisp, explicit examples of taking their team to the next level. And then the third is, how are they a steward of and furthering our culture and values? And so for me, those are outcomes. I think we could talk about what behaviors are often correlated with those kinds of outcomes. But for me, a well-rounded leader is delivering on all three of those uh, pieces. And I think one of the things we're very lucky at LinkedIn is to have an amazing community of leaders that are quite balanced across those, those three areas. When did you come up with those three questions? How long ago? And what made you recognize that those were the three that were most important? Probably about five or six years ago. And maybe it was even longer than that. I had the fortune to work for uh, an amazing manager, Mike Gamson, who I learned a lot about leadership from. And you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm good at is I'm good at taking in lots of information and spitting out a simple framework. And so I was just observing all of these conversations that we were having about leaders. And, you know, at one point, I think I said, Mike, we're, we're talking about three things. We're not really structured that way. But when it comes down to it, what makes or breaks a situation, there's really three questions we're asking. And so why don't we make that really explicit? And why don't we let people know mm-hmm. whenever we can that that's how we're thinking about it? And then they'll start to build their own careers in the spirit of trying to do what we hopefully will want them to be focused on. Right. And so that, that for me has been very powerful. And, and that, that's been a framework I've used for, I don't know, probably the better part of a, be- a decade now. Wow. That's great. You've had um, a really impactful career, not just at LinkedIn, but I, before LinkedIn as well. And then obviously the past 13 years here. And obviously, I'm sa- I say obviously because we're all human, right? And things change. We evolve, people evolve. And we're really curious, how has your leadership style evolved over time? Well, my guess is growing up, I had a vision that probably was based on movies I'd watched of what leadership looked like, you know, the strong, stoic, probably a man standing up and telling people what they thought, right? And I think that everyone has some image in their mind of what leadership looks like. And it's actually important to know what that image is Because the real answer is that leadership doesn't look like anything in particular. You know, when I went to business school, one of the things I was struck by was how different our classes were, how diverse they were in thought, in background, in style, and that any one of those people is likely to be a leader over time. And it's not going to be by all becoming one thing. It's going to be by everyone becoming the best version of themselves. Because if you look at all the data on what real leadership looks like, it's people that essentially are really true to who they are and are doing their best to make the best decisions for the teams that they represent. There's no common style for that. Now, what I will say is that one of the real positives, I think, in sort of the trend of leadership and what strong leadership looks like is that strong leadership, I think, is becoming more emotionally centered. I don't think that was the case years ago. I think it was like, you know, the, like, you know, let's hide your emotions. Like this is business, like emotions have no place in the workplace, like kind of vibe. And I think what we're learning as a society is that that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, in fact, what people really want to do is to work with someone that is going to help the team perform. Everyone wants to be part of a high performing team, but also that understands them as people and connects with them on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super positive 
for everyone. I hope that my kids grow up and when they think about what their picture of leadership is, it's someone that can connect with others uh, and it's someone that can help move a team forward. I, I hope we have a world where everyone just realizes that like most of the traits of strong leadership are just the traits of being a strong human being and the rest tends to follow. But that's new for, for, for lots of people. And I think I've learned that over, over many years. There's like an interesting, interesting thing that I like that's uh, we aren't thinking beings that feel, we're feeling beings who think. Mm. And like emotion underpins so much. And that's what's fascinating is we've somehow thought that we could compartmentalize it. So I see how like, you know, we're, we're obviously so lucky that uh, we work in an environment where that's encouraged in a lot of ways. I'm curious, Dan, how do you yourself create that for other people? And how could someone who wants to create that in their environment do it? I think it starts with role modeling. I'm very, well, I think I'm very comfortable and I try to be comfortable of expressing how I'm feeling, you know, in a work setting. I'm frustrated. I'm excited. I'm scared, worried. The more that people are, are comfortable talking about where they are personally in a given moment, when leaders do that, it gives others permission to realize that that's okay. And I think that that's probably, you can say all that you want, but what you do is really what happens. And then I think there's also a communication style that you can learn of making sure that your words and the way you say them line up with how you feel on the inside. And it's actually easy to say. It's hard to do, particularly when you're in front of a large group. But I think there's a, there's a process of getting comfortable of really bringing your emotional state into your words. And when you do that, people like will say things like, oh, it sounds authentic. And I really think that that's what he believes, and that makes me more trusting. I think that's all true. I think yeah. it's all true when you can when you can marry those two things. Yeah, and of course, when you have leaders who are operating from an authentic place and being vulnerable and role modeling, as you said, people see that and gravitate towards that, and it creates space for them to do the same. And that's on an individual level, from a company level, right? If we have other companies listening to this right now, what would you recommend a company do to help their employees become more emotionally centered? There's probably some expert listening who, who knows the answer. I don't feel like I know the answer to that question, but I, I usually say that like change starts with yourself. So, you know, I, I would start with by just doing it. I would call out and celebrate others that I also see doing it. Mm-hmm. And I probably hire someone that knew how to kind of like build a framework for the company. Yeah. Well, can I give my two cents on the answer? Yes, please. Yeah. What do you think? Culture and values. I mean, you mentioned it before in one of your three questions, but when you have a company that's literally founded on human culture and human values and tenets, and you have people from then on an individual level live them and breathe them, that's what I think can really revolutionize a company of 20,000 plus people. Right. And I think, I mean, we know at LinkedIn how much of an, of a, effect that has had on, on how we work and how we show up each day. Absolutely. I mean, I think most people come to work asking themselves the question, what do I need to do to do well here? I think that's like a very basic way that people think about. And so if the organization celebrates people that are connected emotionally, people that lead authentically, then that's what's going to happen, right? And if they see the opposite of that, then they're going to repress those feelings and you know they're going to bear the pain of that repression. But I think that you know, if a company can really embrace what do we celebrate, who do we promote, who do what stories do we tell, I think those are really powerful. You were starting to talk a little bit about your journey as a leader, and you shared some of the things that have helped you kind of start to transform into the person you are now. But curious, what 
has been the hardest lesson that you've learned as a leader? I think the hardest lesson is when you realize that certain behaviors that you celebrate in yourself are actually counterproductive to your team. You know, you're in the moment and you're like, I'm crushing it right now, right? Like, this is just like, this is me at my best, right? And sometimes for me, that would be when I've kind of cracked a problem in my head and, I, and I'm really excited to share it. And so I'm, I'm very forward about it. And, you know, I always thought, I always celebrated those moments of me performing well. And, and you know, learning that actually for some people that is intimidating, kicks the air out of the room for them, doesn't allow them to be their best selves. So I think realizing that one of my styles that I enjoyed in myself actually made it harder for others to contribute in their best way was really hard to hear because you actually realize that it feels good to you. And at the same time, it's feeling really tough for others. I don't think anyone wants to feel like they're enjoying a moment that others are, are struggling through. And once I figured that out, though, and I, and I sort of came to that truth, it, it wasn't that hard to adjust by being more aware of it and changing how I am, interacted in those, in those moments. But to hear that and to appreciate that was, was not easy. And it goes back to just the importance of learning about who you are, knowing yourself, and then having the awareness to see how that impacts others. And as you grow in leadership and in a role that you're in, just the impact of every word you say matters, right? And how people look at you and how as you grow in your leadership, the impact that you have on others is just that much more vast. And knowing that is important, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure everyone you know, goes home after work, or I guess you don't go home after work anymore. You, you go to the other room. <laughs> you, you are know, home. Yeah. You are home. But, you know, you talk about people from work, you talk about your manager, you talk about something that they said that bothered you. And, you know, com- getting comfortable with the fact that that's how other people are talking about you is is something that, that takes some time. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that sort of into what you're saying is, we talk about LinkedIn, particularly when it comes to um, inclusive leadership, about aligning intention and impact. And the more senior you become, the less space you have to make clear to everyone how your intention and your impact align, because people have very thin interactions with you. Um, you don't have a chance to explain yourself, typically. Uh, they don't know enough of you to be like, oh, I knew what he meant when he said it the wrong way. Uh, you don't have that luxury anymore. And so you have to be very attuned to making sure that what you're doing and what you're saying and the intention that you have behind it are really aligned because the normal ways that you would we would reconcile those things just don't exist the higher the higher your role becomes. And and that's something that, that leaders have to get good at. Yeah, it's like there's less less margin for error. That makes perfect sense. And by the way, Dan, I do want to comment, if you live in New York City, you're not even going from one room to another after work. You're going from your desk to your couch. Yes, <laughs> that is Same true. room, same room. So, so Dan, curious for you, you're COO at LinkedIn. You've had amazing success in your journey and wanted to ask kind of a more creative question of you. If you were to write a book, and you were to title this chapter of your career, what would this chapter be called? Hmm. I think I would call it acceleration. Hmm. I think that for LinkedIn, we have such a strong platform, a community of members. We've built amazing businesses with amazing teams as a result of that community. And as is often the case with networks, the bigger they get, the stronger they get. And I think that we are appreciating what that strength is going to enable going forward 
over the next few years in a way that has not been fully appreciated over the last few years. And I think that's going to accelerate our ability to pursue our mission and vision in the way that we want to. And so I think the chapter is not about me. It's about we, right? It's about like what we do together. And, you know, then my goal to our point earlier is how do I facilitate the right moments and decisions that help us all do this together? Yeah. I love that you brought up LinkedIn's mission and vision you have on your LinkedIn profile. I'm actually going to read a quote from it. You have, why am I at LinkedIn after more than a decade? The vision of creating economic opportunity for billions and the people at LinkedIn who inspire me on a daily basis, which goes right hand in hand with what you just said. Yep. I don't think when I was 20, I knew that a purpose-driven work uh, experience mattered to me. Like I've now realized at, you know, in my 40s, how big of a deal it is to me. Mm-hmm. It's just so, well, we could all spend our, our working hours in a job or doing something that becomes closer to your life's work. And I love the idea of over a long period of time, putting a dent in the world on a cause I care about. So it's such a luxury. Like it's such a privilege. It's, it's incredible. You know, you are an inspiration to so many people, right? People look at you, you've achieved so much and not just from a career perspective, but your family, right? And having three children and just the impact that you've made on individuals and groups and the legacy that you've already kind of left and will continue to leave, right? As you grow, how do you define success? Well, it's still early in the journey. So, so I think that I will probably continue to evolve what I'm focused on, but you know, I've really benefited over the course of my career of always seeking to have success at, you know, quote unquote, at work and at home. And, you know, I've got three kids that are 11, nine and seven today. My daughter turns seven. So it's super exciting. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, daughter. <laughs> yes, yes. We have some fun activities planned for today. And, you know, being just a great dad, my, I had a great dad. I want to be a great dad. You know, being a great partner in parenthood with Mary, you know, like these aren't, these aren't things that just happen on their own. Like they take real work and they take a lot of focus uh, and it's fun, but it's also, it's also real, real, um, you have to really decide you want to do it. And then at the same time, I feel privileged, but also the, the chance to contribute on a problem that I think is just so fundamental in the world of economic opportunity, equitable economic opportunity. I think that's a great fact that we're using that word more equitable, mm-hmm. that just having the chance to, to further that mission over the next you know, phase of my career. And, and so if I can get those two things in a good place, like that would be amazing. And then mix in, mix in a fun moment for myself along the way somewhere. Something for Mr. Excitement. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we all can probably agree and anyone who works for a purpose-driven company and feels connected to it can agree how powerful it is to be able to show up at work every day, knowing that you are making a difference in the world that matters for you and to you. So I love that you share equity or equitable economic opportunity, because I think we all share that desire to drive towards it and in many different ways at LinkedIn. Well, Dan, this has been fantastic. Just getting to spend some time with you, get to know you a little bit, hear about your journey and hear some of the lessons that you've learned. And for our listeners, you know, the hope is that you're able to walk away with something in some way that impacts your career how you work with others, and it sounds like how you become more self and other aware. So we loved having you today, Dan. So excited. Hopefully you can come back. 
Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and the two of you are doing just an amazing job with this podcast. Thank you. We so appreciate you, Dan. For our listeners, thanks for coming along on the journey with us. If you are looking for more of In the Arena, you can find us on iTunes, podcast app, as well as Spotify and Audible. And we will see you next time. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.